You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Good morning. It is Monday, July 20th, and you're listening to the College Football Daily. My name is Trey Scott. I'm joined right now by Brandon Marcello national college football reporter for 24 7 sports brandon it feels like a tradition now to to get you on the monday episode of the college football daily which is recorded sunday afternoon and just kind of get a little check-in on on the latest on the big question everyone asks us everywhere we go is will there be a college football season so today i just sort of figured we'd we'd take the pulse here yeah i mean we're going into a week that is pretty pretty important you know, the discussions among the Power Five will continue, but really the Power Five at this point, the five uh, Power Five conferences, they're just sitting back waiting to see what the numbers look like uh, with the spread of COVID-19 this week. Again, it's a situation where things are not looking too positive for an on-time start to the season, but they're kind of hoping and and praying that these – I guess next two weeks, really the next week and a half uh, after this previous week, that things start looking more positive, that hospitalizations and communities go down, transmission of disease goes down as well, positive testing rates go down, because whatever decisions they make will be guided by local and state health officials and then also their own medical advisory committees and, and boards that they've put together. And... They're leaning toward right now, obviously, a shortened season. Uh, we've already seen that from the Big Ten and the Pac-12 announcing conference-only schedules, so they haven't announced how many games. It's obvious that they're expecting fewer than 12, and the expectation is, from everybody we've spoken to, is it's going to be 10 games or less uh, across the country, at least in the Power Five. And we're seeing – you know, on the FCS level, obviously, and, and Division One, uh, college football season is being canceled on Monday. The expectation is is that uh, later today that the the SWAC will announce that it's not playing this fall, and um, that's going to be commonplace here for the next week or two. Um, you're going to see the smaller conferences saying, "Hey, we're we're not going to try and play this fall," or um, or potentially. Uh, they're just going to have to wait until the Power Five makes their decisions before they go official with their own because there's really no point in their eyes of playing a season if, one, they can't have attendance and, and the gate numbers from that, and, two, they're not getting their big paychecks from the Power Five teams and the FBS teams for non-conference games. And that's why – that's partially why. It's not the entire reason why. You're seeing these these smaller – conferences and everything in these schools cancel their seasons because they know non there there's just not going to be any non-conference games um with big paychecks and the only non-conference games there's going to be are going to be between power among power five uh conferences so that's kind of where we are heading into this week it's wait and see mode certainly throughout the week you're going to hear more and more of other conferences smaller conferences canceling or postponing the season till fall to the spring excuse me and then you'll you'll also be hearing about other scheduling options that are being discussed at these conference offices. But we're still 
probably um, July 31st, which is the last Friday of, and obviously the last day of the month, that's when you'll probably hear a decision of some sort from the SEC. And, and I, I expect, suspect, uh, not expect, but I suspect that the SEC, the ACC, and Big 12 will probably make a decision either together or within the same day or two. And that, that'll happen here in, here in two weeks. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about those three conferences based on some reporting you did the last few days. But I think we have to get into, real quick, the NCAA's Thursday release about guidelines for testing and and it had some infographics about COVID-19 cases not going the way we wanted. And even President Mark Emmert, who's been mostly MIA during this entire pandemic, came out and said, like, the data is not trending the way we want. If, if, if we want fall sports, things are going to have to change. How much stock do you put into that release, what Emmert said, and then what they laid out as testing guidelines? Well, my, my issue with it, and certainly from pe- people behind the scenes of these Power Five conferences, though they are you know, saying, hey, thanks, NCAA, for this, is, is it's, it's just, it just seems like everything's too little too late with them. It's just... The NCAA is always coming in at the last minute going, hey, we decided to do this. So we came up with these guidelines that, one, a lot of conferences have already been following themselves or have come up with and we're going to implement anyway. And I guess what's really bothersome about the entire situation, and not to say that the uh, guidelines are, are not good. I think they are good and they're good to adopt. The problem is, is that, they didn't really start working with the power five on all this till the last like 10 days. I mean, where were they in April and May and June during this situation? Why weren't they trying to help with a, with a plan to move forward and get football on track and all, and not only that, but helping and working with these power five conferences from a PR standpoint as well of trying to communicate to people, how do we get a football season going? This is what you've got to do as fans whether it's work wearing masks or whatever, which has become more of a push here in the last two weeks uh, from these Power Five conferences. But yeah, I mean, the, the guidelines are good, you know, the testing and everything. Obviously, the big question in implementing all that and everything, they're, one, they're guidelines. Two, two, they don't have to be implemented. That's, I mean, just <laughs> the, the NCAA is just so impotent and powerless it's fun it's not even funny anymore that's why whenever they say something or do something like no one listens but or maybe or shouldn't listen i should say but uh you know great they're paying a lot of people a lot of money to come up with those guidelines which will probably never be utilized or will be tweaked based off of what the power five conferences were already coming up with or had already come up with. But I think more than anything, it's kind of maybe a sign that the NCAA can say, and along with the Power Five conferences, at least publicly, hey, this is how we play non-conference games. You know, if we can have the other conferences agree to this. But what's going to happen is, best case scenario at this point, is you're going to see the three Power Five conferences remaining saying that they might play conference games, Big 12, ACC, and the SEC, coming up with a schedule and testing protocols that are universal so that they can play non-conference games amongst each other. 
Um, and then you'll have a handful of schools, obviously the independents like Notre Dame, which will probably be a part of the ACC. And then like BYU, which has been reported as a potential week one opponent now for Alabama since USC is off the schedule with the Pac-12 going to conference only, is that they'll have to adopt those policies as well. Um, what will be interesting is seeing some of these FCS schools and smaller FBS programs that are part of conferences that are saying, hey, uh, we're not playing this year, but you bigger schools who want to play football, you can go do so maybe as an independent, and then they got, but you got to go find your own schedule. And obviously those schools would have to adopt whatever the other Power Five and the independents adopt themselves. So again, they're guidelines from the NCAA. They don't have to be followed, though the Power Five is already coming up with this stuff. This is just kind of reinforces what the Power Five was coming up with and gives kind of a, uh, a roadmap for not, not necessarily just the Power Five, though they're already working on this, but for the other schools who potentially want to be able to still play a season if their conferences decide to not to, but they give them permission to, to move forward if they can find a, uh, a suitable schedule. Well, these guidelines sort of make it look like it would be tough to execute a season just based on like if if you come in close contact with a COVID positive case, you're out of the, you're out of commission for two weeks, even if you test positive yourself. So that's probably not going to budge, right? Like even if the even if the Big Twelve says we're not listening to the NCAA or making our own guidelines, it does sound like that's still the universal thought as far as what these conferences might do anyway, right? Yeah, in fact, that that these protocols have pretty much been in place throughout the summer when they were prepping for voluntary workouts. The idea is two weeks, uh, 10 days if you are sick and you're able to get a negative test at, at the end of the 10 days or so. Um, they're very similar to what the Power Five's already been following. And for that matter, the smaller conferences as well. When you look at, say, like, a, I know I wrote about like a month or two months ago almost, I guess, like Wyoming, they had very similar guidelines. Um, these are situations that that came out and were developed from pretty much the same medical professionals who are following the same uh, guidance uh, nationally and, and, and from state to state. So, and you mentioned... Um, how if you, if even if you don't have the virus, just being saying you had a contact with someone who had it, you might as well have it because you're out for two weeks. That's gonna, that's gonna, you know, obviously hurt teams. And we're seeing it just with workouts. That's why they've had to pause workouts at these schools. So imagine you get to a season, then you get like three or four positive tests, which doesn't sound like much, which is what we've been getting a lot across the country. Three to four doesn't sound like much. But then a week or two passes, and then a couple more people get tested, and then they realize through contact tracing that they got to shut down like twenty to thirty players, and all of a sudden it's like, well, we they 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 who do they were who were they in contact with in those two days or whatever since the they were exposed, and were they contagious? If even though they're not showing symptoms right now, and that's why they're pausing all these workouts because. They don't quite know who may or may not have it, and they don't want to risk it. But also, when you get into a season, not only do you have to figure that in of, well, we don't quite know, even with all the best contact tracing we have, so we got to shut things down. But the other issue is 
just numbers. What if you had 15, 20 players that were just, you know, in contact? You're not going to be able to probably play a game uh, with, you know, even 60 players or 50 players on the roster, or the team's not going to feel comfortable playing because they don't have their best talent out there. And that's not also considering, it sounds like a negative Nancy, but you just keep going through the lines here. That's not also considering this. These voluntary and, and the mandatory workouts, which just started a week ago, they're not practicing. They're not hitting each other. They're not up in each other's faces every day at practice like you would be, which is going to be even more, quote-unquote, dangerous when it comes to spreading this virus. And you'll see more, I would, I would suspect, more outbreaks unless we can – Obviously, there's been development of a special face mask for football players to wear with their helmets, but how effective is that? I think I think it could be pretty effective, but that's just my opinion. But listen, it, it certainly feels it just feels like we're we're trying to wrestle with this thing while also sinking in quicksand. And certainly we can get out of it, but man, does, does it seem like there's just a new thing every day? and another obstacle on on the horizon. And there are things, by the way, that and some of these things that I'm mentioning too, these are things that are being discussed behind closed doors that hasn't even been talked about publicly by conference commissioners and everybody. Because if they did that, <laughs> the, the, the country, and there's some people already in the country, obviously, who just think there's just no way to play a football season. If they were saying this stuff publicly, which they're discussing privately, there would be no way we'd have a football season. There would be no way. No one, no one would say, "Hey, it, no one would say, hey, let's keep continuing. We can do this." But listen, um, we we've got to try and play a football season as as much as we can. But uh, the obstacles are many. Some are small. Some are large. And the other issue is we don't know what else could pop up just from a testing protocol and there's no way to predict it. And so I'm always long winded here, but back in June, I wrote a column about how you wear a mask and all that stuff. And I know the country's supercharged politically on this issue and rights and everything. My column, the whole point of it and what I'm saying right now is this, this isn't about like belief or what I believe for that matter. It's about what the actual rules and guidelines that are in place for us to be able to get to a football season that we have to follow for there to be one. The virus obviously is not very deadly at all for college-aged uh, kids, but that's not the point. The point is is the overloading of the hospital systems, the spread in communities, and the last thing these colleges want to do is, one, be a contributor to that. And secondly, be seen as, hey, we're just moving on while everybody else is being told to not do so. And also we're putting student athletes in harm's way. Also during a time when there's so much controversy over name, image, and likeness and players are not, you know, student athletes are not employees. So why are we treating them as such? It could be a PR nightmare, which is what I wrote about back in June. And whether you're a believer or not and that this virus is as deadly as it, it you know is or whatever and all this stuff that's not what matters what matters is you know whatever rules are in place and guidelines 
that these college conferences have to follow to be able to have a season, if they don't meet a certain benchmark, so to speak, they're just, it's just not going to happen. It, it's like, I guess I could describe it maybe as this. It's like, it's like when you were a kid and you, you had a bedtime, you know, like they, your parents were like, you got to go to bed at eight. Well, I believe I could stay up till nine and still be okay with first school the next morning, mom. But that's just not how it works. That's not the rule in this house right now. The rule is go to bed at eight o'clock. Sorry. And maybe later on uh, down the road, we'll adjust that to nine o'clock. But just because you believe you should be up till nine doesn't mean you get to be up till nine. And no one likes being told what to do in this country. And I understand that. But this is just the reality it is right now with the guidelines that have been put in place and colleges are not going to buck against that too much, which is why, despite all of those limitations, they're doing their darndest to try and see if they could play a football season this year. But they need cooperation from the public, too, to get there. And, and um, you know, as popular as college football is, college football is not going to be able to change the entire attitude of a country or a small portion of the country or really change whatever happens with this virus. The virus is the virus. And um, we're in this position now where college conferences were like, we thought we'd be in a better spot, but we're actually in a worse spot. They can't control that. And so they just have to follow the guidelines, but it's not over yet. And as I've said, they'll kick this can down the road as much as possible to be able to get a season in. And God, I hope I hope we get a season of some sort. Personally, obviously, I mean that's football is my life. And but these are the guidelines we've got to follow to make sure we get there. And right now, the the it's not it's not looking too bright. The College Football Daily will be right back. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow, whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits. Shopify helps you sell everywhere, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast how much right now does having an on-campus learning matter a few months ago that was like the big deal if you if you, if you, you can't have football if the regular regular students are not on campus. Now we're seeing, we're probably about the time where colleges are gonna, are gonna have to start rolling out their actual plan 
uh, with distance learning and some virtual and, and maybe students are allowed on campus, but not every class will be held in person, certainly not every class. Do you see a scenario in which students are not allowed on campus, but there is still the potential for football? And then is there any pot like, and I, I want to get that answer. And then secondly, can, can we have a situation where if students are on campus, does that guarantee some semblance of a football season? Do you, like do you try to parse through those two very confusing ways. I, I the questions I just gave you, but can, can we have football with, without normal students on campus first? Yes. And I okay. think it's already been, uh, you know, some commissioners have tried to avoid that question, but that, that is very possible if not likely, um, certain conferences like the PAC 12 at some of these, you know, like Stanford and everything, they would maybe try to buck against that a little bit, especially when you're looking at the, uh, uh, the California schools in, in that league, so to speak, of saying, hey, we're not going to be able to do uh, um, on-campus instruction. But there's hybrid models out there that have already been announced that are going to be implemented across the country at different schools. So, yes, I, I think so. Even if there was, like, no uh, in-person learning, I think there would be a way to be able to do that. It would just have to come down to – I mean, it's like almost like an ethical question. Like, well, everybody else gets to stay home. But these players have to stay here. Some people would argue, you know, it's safer for them on that campus around the world-class facilities and, and treatment and medical staff than saying being back home um, where they're exposed to more people coming and going and, and all that. But do you, do you hold them there on campus when they have the option of leaving? Well, you, they have the option of leaving. They've, I mean, the SEC and the, all these other conferences have said, hey, if you don't want to play this season, we're fine with that. We'll honor your scholarship and it will not affect, affect your standing on the team. Obviously, we haven't hurt, seen or heard anybody making decisions based off that, but, but we will as we get closer to the season. So I think we're going to play a season even if there is uh, no in-person instruction. Um, as for your second question, what was the second question? I've already lost track. So, yeah, no, no, no. I, I lost myself too. If campuses open up, if there is in-person learning, does that give it a really great shot that we are in turn going to have football N too? No. Um, and I say that just because every school is going to be different, obviously. We know that. But with in-person instruction, if there's like full, like a full-fledged, like here, we're just treating campus like it is, that likely means – that the community that campus is in is doing well and handling the virus well. Um, but that doesn't mean that their cross-state rival on their campus is doing the same thing and their community is in as good a shape. Um, you know, we, like, we try to treat this as a, some people try to treat this as a, well, let's just look at the whole numbers. Well, that's not it. We have to look literally like it's county by county, city by city, and then you expand out from there, right, from to state to state, and then you combine those states within a conference. Can you be able to put, put some type of plan together? And that's also why you're seeing this discussion potentially of the ACC doing pod systems where they would put five teams, three, three groups of five teams together, including Notre Dame, based off of geographical locations so that they might have some semblance of, of uh, commonality of the infection rates and what's going on in their communities or whatever. Cause it's a little bit different to be discussing what, you know, like for example, the big 12, what's happening in West Virginia and what's happening in Oklahoma. I mean, that's halfway across the country. 
Um, it's very different. It's just a fact of life. So, um, no, I don't think in-person classes would guarantee a football season unless, hey, if we have in-person classes at every school and every Power Five conference, yes, we will have a football season and it'll be at least 10 games um, and plus a postseason. So, but we're, uh, we're obviously, we're running out of time now. They've got to make a decision as far as can we play 10 games heading into these next two weeks. And then after that, you delay the season, which would shorten the calendar for a potential amount of games, which would mean you probably go from 10 games to maybe nine or eight. And then from there, you maybe have one more decision after that to decide whether to go to six or seven. And then after that, it's we have to punt on the season. So you, I've, as I've said, you're, you're looking at a timeline here over the next month and a half, two months, I guess, two months, um, where you could see about a succession of up to three decisions being made in, those, in these next two months. So they, there is time. It's just that if you're wanting to see any semblance of a quote-unquote full season, which is probably about 10 games plus postseason right now, these numbers have to improve drastically in the next two months or next next two weeks, I should say. Sorry, for them to be able to do a full season. Otherwise, the decision is going to be made to delay the season, and we're going to reevaluate here in two more weeks, so to speak. And then after that, it'll be another two or three weeks. Because remember, whenever they start a season, whenever they say, "Hey, we're starting the season," they're going to have to have four weeks of preseason camp, and they're going to have to do those not necessarily flawlessly, but get through it relatively unscathed. So there's other issues there as well with the virus, but they got to train. They can't just start a season. So any decision they make is going to have to be at least four weeks out from a season starting. And that's why you're going to see a decision at the end of this month. And then if that decision is to to delay, you'll probably see here another decision two, three weeks later. And then as time starts to wind down, I think the deadline for really making a final decision would be, in late September, which would give them four months or excuse me, four weeks for preseason camp before starting like maybe a six game schedule in late October. And that, that's just kind of how it is. And um, it's, uh, you know, it's pretty dire right now, but I, I still think, I still think we're going to see football somewhere in this country on the college level and it's not going to be a full season, obviously, but we're going to see it somewhere. Something's going to happen. Someone's going to play football this year. Ooh. All right. Well, let's, let's end on that note, Brandon. Positive positivity. Uh, fingers crossed this week. We're going to see baseball come back basketball in two weeks. So let's, let's, let's see what happens. We'll get you back on. Yeah, soon. Wasn't that, wasn't that weird turning the TV on this weekend and seeing a baseball game? Yeah. And it's, you know, I, I spent all summer saying, man, I, I would do anything for live sports. And then I saw that the Yankees and Mets were playing an exhibition game. I was like, eh, not going to watch it. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll see. Uh, good to have you on, Brandon. That'll do it for today's episode of the College Football Daily. Please give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts when you get a chance. We plan on doing this thing daily, even if they keep delaying, delaying, delaying. So, so you know, give us a little love there. Uh, for Brandon Marcello, for our producer, Tony Levitt, who does a great job, I'm Trey Scott, and we will talk to you all on Tuesday. On May 23rd, 
I want to go back to normal. What's normal? The Paramount Plus original series, Evil Returns. We've already hunted werewolves and demons. And now what? A baby antichrist? Okie <laughs> dokie. Prepare yourself. You will not beat us. For the end. I have visions of hell. Make it stop. Make it shut up. You're not gonna survive this. Evil. The final season. Streaming May 23rd. Only on Paramount Plus.